0: So good morning again, Rock Hill. It's so good to see you. If you have your Bibles. I'd love for you to grab them, open them up and turn to Matthew chapter seven. Today really marks the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the appearing or the coming of Christ. And instead of doing a, a traditional Christmas series, uh, we'll just try to, to lampoon it at the very end of December towards the Christmas season. We're still walking through the sermon on the Mount. So we'll be in verses 15 through 20 in just a moment. Now, I went to a small private Baptist college for my undergrad career. My parents went to this school. My brother went to this school. I really did not have a choice. This little school is so sophisticated that when they raise up their arms for their fight song and their school song, it's a little pinky. It's it's supposed to be a stinger. And that's sophisticated mascot, that's what that is. And so we would, we would go to the school, and this school was in a tiny, I say tiny town, uh, Brownwood, Texas. And now listen, I love Brownwood. Uh, there was a Corndog 7 at the, the mall. We loved Brownwood, but I'm telling you, there's not a lot to do in Brownwood. I mean, the, there just isn't. I've got friends there. I love you so much. But listen, for us, hide-and-go-seek at Walmart was the event of the week. For us, we, we were not very good at golf and we could not afford to go to the one golf course, not even in Brownwood, but in early Texas. We, we would get tennis balls and we'd go to the pawn shop, get some clubs, and we would play jacket golf. That means you use a tennis ball and the hole wasn't a small little thing. It was a building because we'd miss it if it wasn't. We had very little things to do in good old Brownwood, Texas. But one of the things my friends and I enjoyed doing, and I say enjoy, and really it's an embarrassment that I'm saying that we enjoyed this, is that late nights on Fridays and Saturdays, we'd find ourselves watching TV and watching programming that uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say that we found too much enjoyment from. We'd watch these these shows, and if you walked in on us watching them, you'd be like, Pastor, I can't believe you would have watched that. And it wasn't just the fact that we were watching it, but it was the nature in which we were enjoying what we were watching. We, we saw it as a, a comedy hour, if you will. They had these phone numbers that you could call in, you could make requests, you could ask for the different things that they were offering us. We, we, we could have conversations and tell them some of the things that are going on in our life and they would respond in kind turn. And then we would, well, let me just tell you what it was. It was these uh, s- these holy pentecostal crazed hey faith healing prosperity gospel preaching tv preachers there'd be times where we would call and request the cloth that they would send or the the oil that was anointed apparently and although it was just normal vegetable oil that they got from the grocery store but they would they would send this to us and we would have these dialogues with them and and i just found humor and often the things that they were promoting but then I became sad. Sad because there were well in, in, in innocent people who would watch this programming and think that if I just sent $100, that God, because I sent that $100, God would bless me tenfold. As if God was a, an exchange rate. I give God $100, because I gave God $100, I get $1,000. We call these grifters. They pawn onto innocent people who, who really maybe aren't able to see clearly what's being promoted to them. I mean, I remember getting a Xerox copy of a, of, a, of a billfold that said, if you will put whatever amount of money you think you ought to give under that billfold, sleep on it, God will multiply it within 30 days, money back guaranteed. But now that I look back, I get sad. You see, false teachers, false teachers aren't a new thing. And in fact, when you read here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus here in chapter 7, verse 15, is actually going to uh, teach us how we ought to be aware of the false teaching that can come up among us. So if you have your bibles we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 15. It helps us to know that you're there by saying word. So if you're there will you say word? word? Be on your guard. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravaging You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Here in chapter 7, Jesus is going to be really clear with us. He's going to make it known that there are going to be false prophets. So he gives us two identifiers, two things that we ought to be aware of as we think about these false teachers that can even come among us. The first one he says is to, to be on guard. To be on guard. You see it in verse 15. Do you see this? Look what he says. He tells us, hey, be on your guard. Now that's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful when Jesus tells us what we should do. He says, be on your guard. Now, think about this. Jesus is not identifying this to mature believers. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Just for a moment. Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it's likely that Jesus then has had some people who say, well, I'm repenting of my sin and I wanna follow this man, Jesus. I, I wanna follow him. There's a degree to which that you could even then say that the Sermon on the Mount is like uh, Christianity 101. Well, what do you mean? If you want to know the character of a Christian, you should read the Beatitudes. If you want to know the, the ethics of Christianity, you should read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what obedience looks like to Jesus, you should read the Sermon on the Mount, particularly chapter 5. If you wanna know what the spiritual disciplines are for the Christian, you should read the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly chapter six. If you wanna know what ambition should look like in the Christian, uh, what godly ambition looks like, which we talked about some weeks ago, you should look at the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six as well. The point is, is that Jesus is having this conversation not with mature Christians particularly, but with new Christians. People who are just now being introduced to what Christianity actually is. Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be aware of false teachers. You need to be on your guard. Why? He says a couple of things that helps us understand why. He says, you need to be on your guard against false teachers who come. What's he telling us? He's telling us that false prophets are already here. False prophets are already here. Now, this isn't new. In fact, Jesus knew that there was gonna be false prophets because there were false prophets in his day. Jesus knew there were false prophets because if you read the Old Testament, there were false prophets in the Old Testament. Do you you remember that Jeremiah had to deal with false prophets? That Elijah had to deal with false prophets? Remember the the false prophets that Elijah had to deal with? The, The... the prophets of Baal that claim that Baal was at rival with Yahweh, the one true God, and they they set up this altar and they go to this big test and, and Baal doesn't show up. Do you remember that? And Elijah says, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. And then they say, well, let's test your God. And they pour water and they dampen the wood. And then all of a sudden a a big fire comes out and consumes that wood, but then also consumes the prophets of Baal. That's how God dealt with Old Testament false prophets. But he says, be on your guard. Why do you need to be on your guard? Because false teachers are already among us. They're here. Now. Jesus knew there were false prophets because there was false prophets in the Old Testament, but there were also false prophets in his day. But then when you begin to read the rest of the New Testament, you begin to see how even in the early church, they were aware of the false prophets. Let me just highlight a couple of passages for you. Number one was from Paul. Remember Paul, Paul, the great missionary, not the greatest missionary because Jesus was the greatest missionary, just put it out there. But Paul was a great missionary of planting of churches, and he comes to this place in Acts chapter 20 where he he says this to the Ephesian elders. They had a, a group of elders and pastors, and he says this Be on guard. I mean, Paul is giving his last rites and testaments to this church in Ephesus, and he says to them in verse 28 of chapter 20 of Acts, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which God, he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come, and among you, not sparing the flock, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert. Remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Paul says, be on alert. I wonder where he got that idea from. He got it from Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Be on your guard. Not just Paul though, Peter in 2nd Peter, he says this in chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. He says there were indeed false prophets among the people. That means they had gone through the membership class. They might have even been teaching a Sunday school class. Uh-oh. He says, there are false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will be in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you. There it is. Let that just, just hold that verse in, in a little bit of a suspension for a minute. They will exploit you in their greed with made up stories. Hammer's coming just in a minute. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, for the destruction does not sleep. Jesus will later, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, talk about how many false prophets will rise up and deceive. I mean, the point, the point is that Jesus is telling us hey, they're here, they're going to come to you, they are among us. False prophets are on TV, false prophets are at the bookstore, false prophets are on TikTok. I had to explain to the early service that TikTok was not the grandfather clock going back and forth. We live in a generation that is bombarded by things that are said in the name of the Lord that never came from the Lord. False prophets are already here. But but then he says this. False prophets aren't just already here. They're sneaky. You say, well, I don't see that in the text. Okay, I'll show you be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. False prophets are sneaky. False prophets come and they dress like sheep, but they're really wolves. Now, you can't think of more opposite animals than than a sheep and a wolf. Now, when I think about snuggling with an animal, not that I think about that. But, When I think about it, I don't think about snuggling with a wolf. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I've watched YouTube and I've seen videos of sheep and they aren't aggressive. They're they're a little bit of getting themselves into trouble. I mean, literally you've seen videos where they will pull the sheep out of the destruction that they're in and then the sheep will go, can I go back? I mean, this is what sheep do. But sheep are innocent, they're not dangerous, they're they're sweetie pies. But on the other hand, and I don't own a t-shirt with a wolf on it, nor do I plan to, but a wolf is not sweet, it's sneaky. The wolf has a couple of agendas. Number one, they want to survive, and number two, they want to take you out. Jesus is saying, the false prophets, they're here, but they're also sneaky because they look like a sheep, but they are actually a wolf. The point is, is that their falsehood is not obvious. It's going to be hard to tell. In fact, when a false prophet comes to a church, he doesn't come with a visor that says false prophet on it. He doesn't announce to everybody, hey everybody, my name is Phil in the blank and I am a false prophet. It's good to meet you all. They don't have a bumper sticker on the back of their Dodge Stratus that says False prophet. There isn't on their TV screen, scrolling, TV screen, scrolling underneath. Hey, y'all, this is a false prophet. 1-800-FALSE-PROPHET. I don't think that's the right amount of numbers, but false prophet. It doesn't say that. Jesus wants them to understand that they are an actual wolf dressed in sheep clothing, but it will be hard to tell. They are sneaky. And just because you heard it on Christian radio, and just because you saw it at a christian bookstore or just because it's on a christian mug doesn't mean that it's sound doctrine or biblical now let's just peel back for a second a store can't be a christian you you know that right a shirt can't be a christian a mug can't be a christian a radio station can't be a christian why they don't have souls Only humans can be Christians. Now, they can be run by Christians. They can have a Christian message. But it's not a Christian. That's a Christian shirt. That shirt didn't choose to follow Jesus. It's just a shirt. And just because you heard it there or bought the book there doesn't mean it is sound and biblical. So he says, it's going to look nice, but it's actually inwardly they are ravaging wool so false prophets they're here they are sneaky and they are dangerous Jesus uses this word ravaging or ravenous so because it was a short week and you say short week well yeah thanksgiving and family and food and all those things I tried to get my sermon compressed a little bit and done before all that stuff happens, so I'm not thinking about all that during time with family. And I was working on my sermon on Tuesday evening, which is not a common thing to work on my sermon at night because my mind is more sharp in the morning time than the evening time, but I was Googling what does a ravenous or ravaging wolf look like, and I stopped what I was doing as I googled the images and i'm not encouraging you to google them right now but i i just stopped and i i was looking at this wolf and i looked at me and said oh man will you will you hold my hand tonight when we go to sleep can we leave a light on in the bathroom so i can know, know that there's no ravaging wolf i mean i was calling for my engineered mutt my golden doodle to come over and will you snuggle me tonight i mean again a ravenous wolf is used because They are, when you look at the images, their teeth are out. Generally, there's some blood. They don't look happy. They look very angry and aggressive. Their point is to take you out. And Jesus says, hey, they're going to look nice. They're going to be sweet. They're going to be kind. They're going to be, oh, just so encouraging. They're going to have a great smile. Their teeth are all going to be straight, and they're always going to be white. They apparently don't drink coffee or eat any food. But they're a wolf. So you got to be on guard. But then Jesus says something interesting in verse 16 and following. He says, well, then how do we, what are we supposed to do then? He, he then, in my opinion, says you've got to be of good judgment. You've got to be of good judgment. We've we got to have Christians that think more than they just feel. Well, it felt right and it felt like a nice message, but what did he actually say? We've gotta have people who think because you'll recognize them by their, their fruit. The fruit often is where we get misguided when it comes to false prophets. Because when we think of fruit, we think, we think of a couple of things. We, we think of the size of that place. If the size of a church is the marker of the faithfulness or the fruit of a gospel preacher, then Joel Osteen is the greatest preacher in the nation. Now listen, when I drove to Houston, when we lived in a a town just west of Houston, I had to go to the hospital. We drove by the arena of which that church resides and I would drive on the furthest lane possible. But we would drive by that stadium. See, I think as Christians, we've got the wrong scorecard that the biggest church is the most fruitful church, or the biggest church, or the biggest service, or the the best sermons, or whatever. That's not the fruit. I I think the fruit is something completely different. It's actually what Paul will tell us in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, meekness, and self-control. Is the Christian growing in that kind of fruit? I mean, how many preachers have we had podcasts done about now who, man, he was a great preacher, but in private, he was the worst person possible. He was rude and mean and vindictive and divisive. And I'm not talking about just big name preachers, but even some just run of the mill preachers like us. We gotta be of good judgment. So how do we have good judgment? I think we need to have a gospel test for our preachers. I think we need a gospel test for the books that we read, a gospel test for the music we listen to, because just because it was played on the radio doesn't mean, doesn't mean it was biblical. In fact, you've got to have the foundation of this inspired and inerrant and sufficient and authoritative word of God as the foundation, because if anything else is the foundation, then we've gotten off track. In fact, for us as a church, we say Jesus is at the center. The best way you know Jesus is through this word. As you're thinking about your upcoming year and how I want to grow in the Lord, you need to consider how am I in God's word and how is God's word in me? So we need a gospel test. I think the gospel test was given to us in the previous verses in chapter 7, verses 13 and even in 14. See, the False prophets would come, and they would say, you could come to God any way you want. You could have it your way. They would, they would say, hey, all are welcome, and, and just don't change anything about your life. But Jesus is saying, wait a minute. No, the life of the Christian is a life of repentance. That means you change your desires. That means you change your will. That means you change your heart, and your affections are for him and for him Alone, you allow the Spirit to go to work and to remove your desires, and you put His desires, He puts His desires in you. This is why at Rock Hill we we want to preach verse by verse through the Bible. I I, I get it that there's gonna be times where we we maybe do a, a topical series, and we'll likely do one at the beginning of the year, but it's gonna be exegetically based. We want the text to reveal to us truth, not us trying to pick and choose the verses to fit the narrative we want it to fit. In fact, there's some preachers that will preach and they haven't even mentioned the fact that Christ died for sinners. So what's the test? Here's here's a way for you to to figure out, is, is this person preaching gospel truth? first question you can ask is, are they preaching a narrow gate? It comes from verse 13, but also 14. Enter through the narrow gate. Verse 14 says, how narrow is the gate? What do I mean by narrow gate? Are they preaching that Jesus is the only way for you to get to the Father? It's an exclusivity of Jesus. Now, there's gonna be some that will, and we talked about this last week, that there's all kinds of roads that lead up to God, and that's a view that people have, but let me just reverse this to say, well, see, with Christianity, it's not that you climb your way up to God. Christianity is that Jesus came down the mountain for you. The difference is, is not that you've worked your way up and it doesn't, as long as you're sincere about it, it's okay. Instead of saying, no, 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 the only way to the Father is through Jesus, that the Father, out of his great love for us, sent Jesus the Son on a a great mission trip to seek and save those who are lost, that his life would be a ransom for many. Jesus lives this perfect life on this earth, and by his death, his substitutionary death in our place that's the substitute in our place instead of us dying Jesus dies Jesus is buried instead of us being buried and then Jesus is resurrected and the beauty of the gospel is that resurrected life is then applied to us not because of the good works we've done not because of the perfected life that we have lived but because of his good work that he has done and his perfect life that he lived this is the beauty of the gospel But this road is narrow because Jesus is the only way. And some might say, that's rude, that's mean. The narrow gate requires us to forsake everything to follow him. And The problem with the world is that we don't wanna forsake the things of this world. The problem for us is that we want more. And we think, if I just have that thing, it will satisfy me. And yet, an hour later, after having that thing, you're dissatisfied. In fact, sometimes even more dissatisfied. If you're listening or reading from somebody who isn't proclaiming Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are likely not listening to a gospel preacher. If you're listening to somebody who says, yeah, you, you gotta follow Jesus, but then you gotta do this, and then you gotta do this, and then you gotta do this, and then you gotta add this to it, and then you gotta add some deviled eggs, and then you'll be in. You may not be listening to somebody who's preaching the narrow path. But another question, are they, are they preaching a difficult path? We talked about this at the end of last week, but this is where most of the false teaching comes. They'll tell you that Jesus is the only way. But then they'll sell you on the idea that following Jesus gives you your best life. They'll sell you the life that if you follow Jesus, man, it just gets better and better and better, and you're skipping, and I can't skip anymore. You're, you're just having fun. And it'll be so good that eventually you just float up into heaven. The biggest place you see this is in the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel preachers promise you a windfall of money and success and health if you just have enough belief. Another place you see this is in faith healing. I am for people being healed. But it's always curious to me that these faith healing centers and these prosperity preaching centers always have handicapped parking. The hub of often of this is, and I don't, I want to be careful here because there is some good that comes from this, this network, but, but TBN is a hub for a lot of this nonsense. Major culprit of the madness are people who you've known for a long time, and I'll just name a few just to be aware of people like Kenneth Copeland or Joyce Meyer or Paula White. You say, why would you call out their names? They're not preaching the gospel. Don't listen to them. They're leading people to receive something that isn't true, and they're going to arrive to heaven, and God's going to say, I never knew you. Now, here's the scheme. They're, they've somehow convinced you that you need God, but they, to have God means that you'll be blessed anointed, and highly favored. But can I just tell you, I don't disagree. I want you to be blessed, I want you to be anointed, and I want you to be highly favored because Ephesians 1 tells us that very thing. The problem is, is our definition of what blessed, anointed, and highly favored means. They define blessing as this. If you're gonna be blessed by God, you're gonna be healthy and rich. If you're not healthy and you're not rich, then you're not in a blessable state. And so now we've added a little pharisaical level to go, you gotta be at a blessable state. Are you at a blessable state? Are you at a blessable state? If you're not healthy and you're not wealthy, you're not at a blessable state. And so someone who genuinely loves the Lord and knows the Lord and who isn't healthy and who isn't rich will go, well, maybe I'm just not in a blessable state and God doesn't love me. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most blessed, the most anointed, the most highly favored one in all the earth died, homeless, crucified on a cross, borrowed grave. They divided his cloak at his death. The most blessed one was Jesus. The most anointed one was Jesus. And yet we think that blessing happens monetarily. Jesus lived and died and would not jive with the prosperity gospel preachers. They'll say, Jesus doesn't want you to be average. He wants you to be victorious. I want want you to be victorious. But how do you define victory? The victorious life that they'll often promote is saying that, this is your best life. Can I just, if this is your best life, then you're destined for hell. If right now is your best life, then the step after this is hell. Eternal separation from God. If heaven, which is where our citizenship is, is our, where our, best life is then this isn't ever going to be our best life Now that doesn't mean good things won't happen in your days here that doesn't mean that you won't have the things that that we've even talked about but it is saying that's not where we're gonna put our hope and trust and so this isn't our best life our best life is in the presence of Jesus that's where our best life is going to be had and so the blessing of God just doesn't look like the way the world thinks it should look like. Here's what's so infuriating to me. These faith and these prosperity gospel preachers have figured out a way to proclaim a gospel to tell you enough that informs people about eternal life, but still maintains the person at the center of their own universe. So the other question, so narrow gate, difficult path, but what kind of fruit? Notice what he says in verse 17. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, it's a, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You'll recognize them by their fruit. This is difficult because we live in a context that, that in a size of church our size, we, we live in a small community, but, but our church is just in an abnormal size for the size of our community. It's not a critique, it's just a reality. So while we may interact on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis, it, it, it will be almost impossible for you to have an opportunity to enter into my home and, and have a dinner among the chaos of the five kids at the same time. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it will be difficult for it to happen. So when you're looking for fruit in gospel preachers, the interaction degree is often minimal in churches like ours. So we have to say, well, we have to look at some fruit. You'll recognize them by their, their fruit. Yes, I want every person from Henderson County and Smith County and Van Zant and beyond to walk through the doors of Rock Hill and hear the gospel presented and come to faith in Jesus Christ and live as a disciple of Jesus. I want that, I want that. And that's not a bad ambition or want, but the question has to be what kind of fruit is on display? What kind of evidences of the grace of God are on display in your life? Are you believing the gospel and what kind of gospel are you preaching in your life you know christmas time is just a wonderful season when we lived before we moved here we we would go to a tree farm and walk through this uh, falsified forest i mean they were planted and then they grew and we got to pick out the tree and it was such a fun time and a little sappy but it was a lot of fun and we'd go and we'd cut the tree and we'd cut it down and we'd bring it to the house and we would celebrate the fact that we had a live tree in our home. But we all know the reality of that tree. The second we took that saw and then had to ask the guy to finish it because we were too sore to finish. The second we took it to that tree and the second we pulled it onto our car and the second we took it home. And the moment we set it up, even though we put water in whatever contraption of drugs you put in for the tree, I don't know what it is. And it and it was there to sustain its life. That tree was dead. There's no life in that tree. And you know this because every day you look down and go, things are falling from this tree. This live tree is giving signs of death. And so what we do is we, we decorate it, we put things on it, and say, oh, look how pretty it is. And I'm not against that, we are for it. We did it last night, it's wonderful. But it gives off the impression that there is life, when in reality, the thing is dead. And we've gotten sophisticated in our days, and now we have trees that are artificial. We know that they're fake, but we still decorate them and celebrate them, and even some of them come with snow on it. Some of them are pre-lit, some of them are pre-lit, but some of them are not lit anymore. (laughs) And we we celebrate, none of that is bad, but but here's my my point. Some of you are that cut live tree. You're still trying to fake it to everybody around you that you're alive. You've put ornaments on, You got lights to show everybody things are good, but you are dead. And Jesus says, over time, we'll see their fruit. Over time, we'll know what's really going on in your life. It may not be today, but it'll be revealed. Others of you, you, you used to be inside. You were a cut tree, you were dead. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel doesn't invite you to stay dead inside. The gospel says, hey, I will come out and I will plant you and give you new life. And over time, we'll recognize, we'll recognize you by your fruit. Are you believing the gospel. What kind of gospel are you proclaiming? It's only a matter of time. For the gospel that you've bought into will become clear. Will you pray with me? Father, we come now, and Lord, we ask that as you're working on hearts and souls, that you would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, you would sharpen us. You would convict us in our sin. Father, for those in this room that have been struggling with what they're believing, that, Father, they would settle today where they stand with you. Father, there's, there's good trees and there's bad trees. Lord, I'm asking that by the Holy Spirit, you would make us the good tree. And Father, we know that that's possible for those who would confess with their mouth, believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is the only way. They go down that narrow gate, difficult path. But Lord, if they've been deceived by the wide path and the, the broad path, that Father, they, they would come under conviction, and they would repent and believe the gospel today. But Lord, for those who are weary from the storms that have come, that God, you would help them to know they are planted It's a tree. And you were given life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.